1: Welcome
3: to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com
0: What seems to be the problem? Uh, well, so the thing is, doctor, I am dead. Hmm. You're dead? Well, can you, uh, explain? Uh, I'm... I'm dead. My organs have stopped working. They've ceased to function. My heart, my intestines, my brain... But you're, you're speaking to me right now. Well, I agree. I, I don't know how to explain that. I guess I should be quiet. But I need to be put in a grave... I'm registering a heartbeat, a pulse. You're certainly breathing. No, I, th- I think you're just getting the sound of air moving through the empty skin. Empty? I guess except for the bones. Everything else feels like it's gone, it's rotten, melted away. Well, if this were the case, you wouldn't be able to think or, or
1: reason or, or even travel to my office and tell me these things.
0: Something isn't letting me die. Something? Not God, I mean, uh, not not God, but something. Anyway, doctor, I need you to destroy my body if that's possible. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb and my name is Joe McCormick and that is an odd scenario that most mm-hmm. doctors probably would never find themselves in, but it is actually not not just a, a fictional contrivance. There have been scenarios where a doctor has had someone show up at their office claiming not that they're dying, but that they are dead.
1: Yes. Yeah, and it would I mean it would be comedic if the examples of it, the actual case studies Weren't so depressing and heartbreaking, and and the, and the the
0: condition itself were not so real. Yeah. Um. So this is going to be the subject of today's episode. What it lo- what it's like to experience being dead while still being alive?
1: Yes. It is uh, sometimes referred to as uh, Cottard's syndrome, also Cottard's delusion. Yeah. And I think delusion is more accurate based on uh, the commentaries we've been reading. The idea that, that this is not a a specific affliction so much as kind of a, an array of symptoms that emerges from a few different uh, conditions that can
0: occur neurologically. So let's go back into history. Where do we first see this emerging, the, the concept of uh, someone who presents to a doctor claiming to be dead, yet from the outside, they're obviously alive?
1: Hmm. Well, it's an interesting question, and, and some of the individuals who have tackled it have certainly pointed to examples in myth and legend and saying, well, this could possibly explain these scenarios. Um, however, it seems to be that the, the earliest case of Qatar's delusion, even though it was not known as Qatar's delusion yet, possibly goes back to 1788, um, and this is when uh, Genevan naturalist and uh philosophical writer charles Bonnet encountered what might be the early example earliest example of the condition uh and this was a um, a 70-year-old otherwise healthy woman who upon experiencing something like a stroke and this was after a draught of air hit hit her in the neck according to the um, the, the, the the studies i read the same thing there she yeah. reported a draft of air hit her in the neck okay. and then she felt like a p- paralysis across half her body yeah and uh, and then she was silent as a corpse for four days. And then when she opened her mouth, finally, she demanded burial.
0: That is a strange thing to demand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, it would be comedic
0: if it weren't so serious. Um But, yeah, so she seemed to be under the real persistent idea that she was no longer alive, even while she was alive to tell people this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She uh, so she she apparently you I mean, it's just very insistent of it, like it was very much like a delusion, like something, again, that the individual that's believing it is it's completely invested in it, completely convinced of its of this reality, no matter how ridiculous it might seem to anyone on the outside. It's like she became agitated and she was scolding her, her friends for for not for not doing it. She she asked, she said, I, I'm i not alive anymore. I need to be buried. Um you know, they, they ended up calling a doctor eventually everybody thought it was necessary to, to dress her like a corpse and lay her, lay her out to calm her down. And well, uh, they
0: actually had a sort of funeral for her. Yeah. Right? Like
1: they, they essentially had to indulge in her uh, delusion a bit just to, to calm her down. And, and she eventually uh, fell asleep and was undressed and put to bed. But, <laughs> but yeah, how do you even treat something like this? Certainly in, in 1788. Well, uh, uh, Bonnet uh, arrived on the scene, and he uh, treated her with "quote A powder of precious stones mixed with opium," and I guess it worked uh, because he reported that she emerged from her death delusion. Uh, but while she uh, she gave up the notion that she was dead, she then became became convinced that she was in Norway uh, with her daughter, while she was actually in Copenhagen the whole time, and insisted that she needed to return to Copenhagen from Norway. Um, and during this time, she was otherwise normal, but she could not sleep um without the opium, so sadly, she ended up suffering the same condition every three months thereafter so Super- mean uh a reprisal of the
0: idea that she had already died right
1: the idea that she she had died would return she'd have to be talked uh out of it, and then she would register surprise when she finally learned that she was in fact alive
0: now i I wonder what it's like um Like, what is the behavior of a person who truly believes themselves to be dead? Like, what does that entail for how they act?
1: Well, it it seems to vary from case to case uh, as we look at it. I mean, a lot of it seems to boil down to just an an essential breakdown in conception of self and identity Mm -hmm. instead of like the like we all walk around through our lives with a de facto statement. I am alive. And, you know, maybe being alive is fantastic. Maybe it's not, but we at least begin the sentence with, I am alive. Yeah. It's but, sort
0: of an axiom. Yeah. Like you, you don't need to debate this point. But for them, the axiom,
1: axiom is vacant. It's, it's absent and in its place, I am dead. I'm clearly not alive. I must be dead. And then therefore X. Sometimes that X is clearly I must be buried or my body must be destroyed or in some cases, it's, uh, I'm not alive and yet I exist. Perhaps I have entered some
0: deathless state. Yeah. Perhaps. Some afterlife. Yeah. Some, some afterlife,
1: cases. uh, et cetera. So it, it kind of varies depending on what's going, it, the underlying conditions that are causing these symptoms come into play as well as, uh, presumably the, the exact, um, you know, worldview of the individual afflicted.
0: Yeah. Another thing that, I, I've read about in many of the cases here is a sort of denial of life sustaining activities. Like the person seems to, in many cases, lose interest in eating and going about their business as one normally would and Mm -hmm. doing any of the things that would constitute a life going on.
1: Yeah, sleeping, et et cetera. Um, Authors uh, Hans Forstel and Barbara Beats uh, wrote about uh, the um, the Benet case uh, for the British Journal of Psychiatry in 1992, and they uh, theorized that the idea of imminent death played a role in this too. Uh, the The idea of imminent death during the old woman's stroke overpowered her thoughts, at least until she
0: regained full consciousness. Hmm. Um, so again. so like while she was having a stroke she had the idea that she was dying and then in some sort of liminal state following the stroke she had not yet overcome the the conclusion of that assumption
1: yeah i mean because like if the last if the last experience you have with like a full consciousness and a full conception of self is that of, oh, crap, I'm about to die. Oh, crap, something horrible is happening to my body. Mm -hmm. And then when the the next phase you exist in is this altered phase in which uh, some of your normal neural processes are adjusted, that may be the uh, explanation you fall back on. That, at least, is one uh, one theory. Here's a, a quote uh, from what they had to say. The most exceptional and strange ideas can gain such acceptance if the mind is suddenly thrown from its ordinary reasoning and forced into a new main idea. A sudden physical disorder in the brain or a sudden violent excitement can cause such a change that we are pushed beyond insight into its unreasonable nature because we assume to notice a correct functioning of our imagination, even in delusion. Hmm. Which I love that because it. I think one of the things that's fascinating about delusions such as this, with other neurological conditions, is that it not it not only illustrates what is possible in terms of human perception of reality, yeah. but also how ultimately ephemeral
0: the uh, quote unquote normal perception of reality actually is. Well, yeah, and it also I think underlies our our inherent predisposition for a completely irrational thinking
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, like obviously i don't mean this as an indictment of uh people suffering from catard's delusion i'm not <laughs> i'm not trying to uh impugn their rationality mm-hmm. but uh this seems to be a thing that's it's latent in the human brain uh the ability to hold thoughts that are impossible right because in a strange way This this is perhaps the most delusional possible thought, Mm -hmm. uh, like from a Cartesian point of view. And what I mean by that is, you know, so Rene Descartes was trying to come up with an axiom that he could start his deductive philosophy with. Right. Um, And so he could start with like, well, I observe that I'm in a room. But then you can't actually start with observations, according to him, because there's no way you can be certain you're not hallucinating every aspect of your surroundings. But Descartes eventually said, you know what, I can start with cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I exist. Uh, because, I mean, it, it's pretty much that is true by definition. It, it cannot be false. So this syndrome is kind of some form of the denial of the Cartesian axiom. It's denying the thing that could not by definition be false. I think, but I do not exist.
1: Yeah, the in this it would be the ultimate de- denial, the ultimate nihilism, right? Yeah. And indeed this is uh this is some of the thinking that uh the, the namesake uh, French neurologist Jules Catard uh, had uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So again, this is this is where we get the name obviously. Uh the year was 1880. So it's and, about
0: 100 years after uh uh the original case. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't until you know, later that people pieced that together. Um he received a most curious patient, okay? A 43-year-old woman who believed she had no brain, nerves, chest, or entrails. She believed she was merely skin and bones and that, quote, neither God uh, nor the devil existed, and that she no longer required food as she was, quote, eternal and would live forever. So she requested to be burned alive and attempted suicide several times uh, thereafter and then eventually died of starvation. So this is a pretty... Pretty severe and grim uh, case. Well, so what did Cotard make of this? Well, he uh, initially saw it as an extreme form of uh, hypochondriasis, you know, hypochondriacs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and he uh, he thought that this is a this would occur during a severe psychotic depression.
0: And in many cases, this delusion has been linked strongly to depression. Not right. Not in every case, because there are a lot of different scenarios that seem to produce similar effects and delusions. But
1: uh, we do see that as a recurring factor, along with like near death
0: or some traumatic uh, yeah. experience. Uh, but it has been often linked to severe types of depression. Mm-hmm.
1: And he he indeed is uh, one that uh, mentioned that tales of the wandering Jew might be related uh, bits of myth uh, that that extend from such bouts. Oh,
0: so he's thinking that uh, cultural ideas, like not not just the hardware of the brain malfunctioning, but that software running on the brain, you know, received ideas are informing this syndrome. Or sorry, shouldn't say syndrome. The delusion.
1: Well, or at least that, like th- these ideas of say that there being an immortal, depressed wanderer out there in the world right. might have some ties to this condition. That this might be the nugget of truth uh, behind such a concept.
0: Right. If you're not familiar, the concept of the wandering Jew is the idea that, uh, of course, uh, in in the New Testament, the, Christ predicts that he will return to earth before everyone standing before him has passed away. Obviously, a lot of time has passed, and so one uh, solution to this textual problem is that people assumed that at least one person standing there listening to jesus was actually essentially immortal and had continued to wander the earth since then yeah
1: essentially cursed because in, in some tellings uh, the wandering jew laughed at christ on the, the cross
0: oh i don't think i'd heard that that's, that's the version
1: i i ran across recently so it's kind of like highlander except uh more anti-semitic Hmm. So in Katard's, uh later writings on the condition, he uh, he described it as a nihilistic delusion, a negation of everything, God, food, life itself, quote, a marked tendency to deny everything.
0: Well, then, in this case, it would seem that the the way that we originally characterized it as the, the belief that one is dead is actually not the not the overarching nature of this, but it's sort of like one expression of it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, as Cottard conceived it, it's just a denial of everything. And the denial of one's own continuing life is one facet of that.
1: Right. Yeah. If if this absolute denial enters your consciousness, then even if it's an altered
0: consciousness, then how do you make sense of it? Um, so I assume he didn't name this this uh, delusion after himself.
1: No, no, that wasn't until uh, 1893. Uh, uh, Emil Regis uh, coined that. uh, the term Cotard syndrome, and it was made famous by uh, Jules uh, Sieglis, who himself thought that it was all a severe, anxious melancholia rather than a distinct clinical condition. Now, of course, if it were just two cases, that wouldn't be much to go on. But of course, there have been other cases of Cotard's delusion, uh, which we'll get to right after this break. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free
0: samples. Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire, part time or full time. You name the position So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to
3: hire. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission
0: All right. So uh, there have been more than just these two historical cases we talked about, but it also is not an extremely common condition, right? Yeah, it's exceedingly
1: rare um, and perhaps even more so in the modern age since uh, swift treatment of the underlying uh, psychotic disorder uh, typically occurs. And most studies related to Qatar's delusion are, of course, about a single patient. This right. is not the kind of thing where a doctor is going to encounter multiple catards delusion uh, patients, say, within, you know, yeah. within the course of an entire lifetime. Right.
0: Like, here, here's this one clinical encounter, not like, I recruited a group of a hundred people suffering from Qatar's delusion.
1: Right. Yeah. It's the, this is, you know, one of those conditions that's super rare, probably, but it gets more attention because it is so Alarming. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, some of you, I know, we have some Hannibal uh, fans out there. There was actually an episode of Hannibal where we had the the sort of killer character of the week was somebody with Qatar's syndrome. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but I don't have a clear enough memory of the episode to uh, to do any kind of critiquing of it of how they presented it.
0: Well, so now that we've seen more cases showing up throughout history, what are the most common uh, symptoms? Like, how does this delusion present itself most frequently?
1: Claims of being dead, obviously, of organs missing or having rotten or melted away. Claims
0: of a missing brain. Oh, yeah. I saw that one uh, Mm -hmm. with the guy who said, I don't have a brain. Yeah. I don't know how to explain this, but I just don't have one.
1: Yeah. Claims, of course, of being... I didn't see any encounter where someone actually said, hey, I'm a zombie or I am mm. a, a lich or something, mm. but that but is- the, They basically explain undeadness. Yeah, they basically are like, I'm not alive, I'm dead, but I'm also in some sort of protected state as if, in some cases it's, there are a few cases we'll look at where that, where the individual is saying like, God won't let me die, but then other times they're just, they're just totally negating God or the devil as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's this sense of what you know, what, what a, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, a fan might term lichdom, the idea that you're not dead, you're not alive, but somehow death has given you a, either a, a cursed or uh, elevated status.
0: Well, let's look at some more modern examples of uh, what this actually looks like in, in people who present with it.
1: OK, well, uh, one interesting case and we're not going to touch on all of them. Uh, because even though it is rare, there have been multiple cases. Some of them just aren't particularly noteworthy or, uh, or provide much uh, illumination, uh, for our purposes here. But in 2004, there was a case of an individual, uh, by the name of Graham Harrison and he attempted suicide by empty, uh, entering a bathtub, uh, with an electrical appliance. And the next thing uh, he knew is he awoke in the hospital and he thought he was dead. So in this we see, we definitely see elements of the, The traumatic, like, occurrence, the near-death event. Right. And then waking up with this condition. And he was indeed diagnosed with catards, delusion. Uh, but most interestingly, given the time in which this took place in the hospital environment, it allowed doctors an unprecedented, uh, PET scan peek into the brain of the deathly deluded here.
0: Oh, so they could get some imaging results, see how the brain of a person experiencing this delusion looks compared to someone who's not.
1: Yeah, at least in this particular patient. Yeah, and they found that his brainwave patterns were were vegetative despite his being awake. So he had very low metabolic activity across large areas of the frontal and parietal brain regions. Some of his this expanse, Re- related to the default mode network, which we've covered before. This yeah. is the, you know, the, the constant chatter in your, your head that's, uh, you know. Questions about the and, and worries about the past and, and future, that sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but also the regions afflicted here uh, were involved in formulating theory of mind.
0: Now, one of the researchers who worked on this case, who was interviewed in an article in New Scientist about it, uh, Stephen Lorries of the University of Luage in Belgium, uh, said that the the PET scan results were essentially what you'd expect to see in someone who is asleep or under general anesthesia. Like, you know, so you mentioned the low metabolism. Uh-huh. It was as if the brain had sort of been shut down. And uh, however, the researchers also cautioned that this scan could be affected by the antidepressants he was taking. So, you know, we, we shouldn't draw too many conclusions from one case. Right. But apparently something had happened to his sense of self. Yes, indeed. That's what's really interesting here. And that's that's what we're going to see reflected
1: in some of the other cases we're going to look at this idea that that the brain's ability to conceive self uh and and to, and and indeed to conceive uh the identity of others is what is afflicted here um now luckily in the case of uh of Harrison here uh thanks to psychotherapy and drug treatment he was uh, eventually able to to overcome these symptoms and return to something of a normal life and there's actually an interview with him in new scientist from a few years back uh you can find it mindscapes first
0: interview with a dead man yeah and i was just going to say that it's an interesting read worth checking out
1: now in some of these papers I found reference to an individual who wanted to erase their body with acid. Oh yeah, uh, but I wasn't able to track down a particular study on that one. Uh, but there were some other interesting cases that uh, came up. One of which was a 2005 Iranian case uh, covered in the uh, article. This is a telling uh, title covered in the study: coexistence of lycanthropy and Cottard syndrome in a single case. Wait, lycanthropy—that's werewolf syndrome, isn't it? Indeed, yeah, something you don't really expect to pop up in a uh, in a Serious uh, psychological paper.
0: Now, in the clinical definition, I think lycanthropy is what the, the belief that one has been transformed into an animal right. or behaviors indicating such a belief.
1: Right, yeah. So we're not talking about actual transformation into a wolf or a dog or what have you. Uh, this individual is a 32-year-old 32, 32 man who arrived at the hospital and complained, A, that he was dead, and B, that he had turned into a dog.
0: Both. Yeah. And that the same was true of his wife and daughters. Well, that his, I think he claimed that his wife had been turned into a dog and that his daughters yes. had been turned into sheep.
1: That's right. So his delusion of uh, zoological transformation extended to his family, but not necessarily the same animal. Yeah. Now, he claimed that his relatives had tried to poison him as well. Uh, yeah, I think by uh, putting cyanide in his tea. Well, that's one tactic uh, to employ, uh, and he also claimed that God protected him, even in this undead form, which uh, which is interesting. It ties back into this this theme we see again and again that they're they're dead but somehow
0: undying. So, what did the study conclude about this patient?
1: Well, uh, here's the here's the quote: A patient meeting dsm four criteria for bipolar mood disorder, mixed type with psychotic feature had the delusion of being transformed into a dog. He was also deluded that he was dead. He was restless and had a serious sense of guilt about a previous sexual contact with a sheep. Coexistence of lycanthropy and Cotard syndrome has not been reported before. In this patient, uh zoophilic orientation associated associated
0: with a sense of guilt were concluded to be important factors causing his delusions. So he had also like uh, some guilt going on about uh, a zoophilic encounter, essentially. the. Yes, that's, that's what the paper is getting at. So a, a rather
1: disturbing case all around, I think uh, everyone will agree. But it's interesting because we're seeing this delusion here in this case perhaps have causes that are less – uh, tied to physical trauma and more to just like severe guilt, severe psych- psychological trauma over <laughs> uh, over a past incident. Uh, Matt uh, Soniak has a great blog post about this at uh, Matt uh, Soniak, that Sonia, that's M-A-T-T-S-O-N-I-A-K dot com. Uh, and he adds that. Uh, Quote, In Persian folklore, the dog is both a symbol of loyalty and a symbol of impureness. The man's sexual history with sheep, coupled with his desire to protect his sheep daughters and many dogs roles as herders and protectors of flocks adds another layer of paradox.
0: So this is another thing perhaps comparable to w- whether this assumption was correct or not uh the the original assumption of Qatar that like the wandering Jew mythology could figure into the mm-hmm. presentation of this delusion. Here it's saying like cultural ideas or beliefs or yeah. sort of received associations can also play a role in how this delusion is manifest.
1: Because you have a condition that is causing these symptoms and then the mind has to somehow make sense of the symptoms that it's working with. And for that, you often need to be able to you have to call on cultural motifs or some sort of bit of mythology or some some at least vague concept of what it means to not be yourself, what it means to not be alive.
0: Yeah. So a lot of the the cases we've talked about so far are cases where the information we have comes from. Uh, well, in, in, in one case, at least an interview, but uh, mostly from sort of clinical observations. Right. So uh, researchers are looking at these patients and at the symptoms they're presenting and trying to describe them for, for the scientific literature. But I think it's also important to try to get a picture from People's own first-person perspective. Oh yeah. So first of all, there's an article in the Washington Post in November 2015 about Cottard syndrome, and uh, one of the people it tells the story of in the article is uh, is this uh, this woman, Esme Wei-Jun Wang. And, uh, and in 2013, she came to the conclusion that she was dead. According to the article, Wang lost consciousness during a long flight from London to San Francisco, and her doctors never found any explanation for the incident, but afterward, she began to experience increasingly strange symptoms of, uh, of distress and disorientation, psychosis, losing her sense of reality. And about a month later, She woke up one morning with a new consciousness of her situation, and now I'm going to quote from the article, uh, a quote she gives to them, quote, I was convinced that I had died on that flight, that I was in the afterlife and hadn't realized it until that moment, said Wang, now 32, who is convinced her husband and their dog Daphne were dead as well. And then her quote continues, that was the beginning of when I was convinced that I was dead. But I wasn't upset about it because I thought I could do things in my life over and do them better. Hmm. Uh, but her condition did uh, worsen from there. So Wang wrote an essay called Perdition Days that she posted online about her experience. And uh, I read this and I really recommend reading it because it, it's a really interesting um And I would say very well-written description of, of what it's like first person to have this kind of experience. So in the essay, she describes how when she first discovered she was dead and living in some sort of afterlife, she felt happy. Uh, but this soon decayed into a state of misery where she began to believe that she was living in a form of perdition, which is a state of punishment or hell. And she writes, quote, during the perdition days, which had no rhythm to them, I could not summon the motivation to do anything. I would not eat. I often would not move. I would not attempt to read or answer an email or have a conversation because there is no point in doing anything when in perdition. Instead, there is only horror and a physical agitation that refuses to manifest physically for a lack of motivation.
1: But it does line up with uh, these uh, other examples we've looked at, This sense that it's it's not merely waking up and saying, oh, I think I'm dead. Mm-hmm. It's this you, you feel at odds with everything in your world. Yeah. Like, but again, kind of getting into that uh, negation of everything, that ultimate nihilism, though, that almost puts to defined uh, uh, a, a definition on it. You know, like it mm-hmm. seems like it's it's basically again, it comes down to you're left with this just inhuman feeling and you have to make something human out of it or attempt to with, with what you had to work with.
0: Yeah. So it's obvious that these, these cases, and by the way, I do recommend that the listeners read this essay perdition days so, because I think it's really good.
1: Cool. We'll include a link to that as well as the, uh, the other interview on the landing page for this, uh, this episode at stuff to blow your mind.com.
0: But also I think we should be asking the question of, well, wait a minute. If, if what you're just saying is true, Robert, you know, th- there's this problem with, um, this collection of symptoms being k- kind of only very vague and loosely associated while certainly very real. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are we talking about one coherent thing when we talk about Cotard's delusion or instead are we sort of, are, are we fabricating the connective tissue that's holding all these cases together?
1: Yeah, so this is this is something that really throughout the history of Cotard's delusion or Cotard's syndrome, you see time and time again. Is it a true syndrome? Yeah. Or is it just a delusional state that emerges from various other conditions? Now
0: we're certainly not questioning the reality of the experiences of the individual mm-hmm. people having this uh, these experiences, but what are we saying? Is essentially is it one thing, right. or are these different things that we're trying to group together under the same heading? Right. So it's
1: of like in a broad sense, you have hallucinations, mm-hmm. but there are various forms of hallucinations and there are uh, myriad reasons for why one would experience a hallucination. So is this a case where. Cotard's delusion is simply something that emerges due to various causes. Well, one thing – and we, I think there's a strong case to be made
0: for that. Okay, yeah. Well, one thing we could do to sort of, sort of help uh, unify our understanding of it is to look at the cause and effect situation. It, has there been a cause isolated by the researchers who work on this? Uh, is there something they can point to to say, yeah, we think when we see Cotard, this is the most likely cause?
1: Well, uh, based on the resources I was looking at, there um, a number of researchers seem to to think that it boils down to to misfirings in the fusiform face areas of the brain. Now, what is that? So these these are areas involved in facial recognition, huh. at, as well as and also misfirings in the amygdala, which matches uh, emotional response to all those faces. So again, we're getting back to that idea of the brain's ability to deal with self to deal with identities, and to then uh, attribute
0: appropriate emotional responses to those identifications. Um, so how, how would this be man So if, you, if you're having trouble recognizing faces and feeling the correct emotional reactions to them, um, how would this manifest as a belief that one was dead or had lost your existence or identity? Well,
1: it... You can think like one way to think of it is to think of use of a mirror. And again, this is not saying that that Catard's delusion depends on an individual looking in a mirror. Yeah. But if you have if you're having a, if you're experiencing a lack of emotion and viewing faces uh, and a resulting detachment and then you view, view your own face in a mirror. Well, then that could lead to this startling detachment between your sense of self and the projected self in the mirror. So in short, you cease to see yourself as you. You end up – you do not exist. It's kind of like the Medusa staring into the – being uh, confronted
0: with the mirror. Yeah, do you just feel that you have turned to stone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love – So one thing I came across when uh, reading about this is that there seem to be a wide range of different treatment options that have been tried. Uh, the Washington Post article I mentioned earlier spoke with a psychiatrist named uh, Jesus Ramirez Bermudez at the uh, National Institute of Neurology and Neurosurgery in Mexico. And he says he's treated at least 14 patients with uh, uh, with uh, Cotard's delusion using a combination of medication and psychotherapy.
1: Yeah. And that that seems to be. um The situation you run across that um, it's coming back around to the to the uh, the idea that Cotard syndrome, again, has not it's it's a it's a battery of symptoms that emerge from a uh, from different causes. And so. You know, you can't really treat the symptoms. You can try and control the symptoms, mm-hmm. but uh, it's going to vary, de- you know, depending on what uh, is actually causing them and and whether that's being addressed or not. So you see antidepressants, antipsychotics, and even uh, electroconvulsive therapy mm-hmm. uh, re- uh, resulting in some uh, benefits from time to time.
0: Now, when we mentioned disorders of the recognition of faces, this does seem related to another uh, type of delusion I've read about before, the, the Capgras. Delusion.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is one that I've um, at least written about in the past. I can't remember if I've done any podcast uh, content on it. I think maybe Josh and Chuck have.
0: Oh, yeah. I but think it's so. uh
1: it's a delusional identification syndrome, which generally involves right brain anomalies linked to a number of illnesses and neurological disorders, ranging from uh, schizoaffective disorder and Alzheimer's disease to severe head injuries pituitary tumors and migraines. Even alcoholism can play a role, but it basically entails the experience of doppelgangers thinking that basically you, you, you encounter individuals in your life. Maybe they're even family members, but suddenly you see them, but there's this mix up in identity so yeah. you see them, but you think they are not themselves. You think that, and then if you try and make sense
0: of that, well, they have been replaced. These are remnants. yeah, yeah. That's how I've heard it explained: mm-hmm. is that uh, you you recognize the person, but you don't think they're really them. Yeah. You know, you, my family has been replaced by imposters.
1: Yeah. So there, there definitely seems to be some strong connective tissue between these two scenarios. Again, getting back to that idea that it's a disruption of the ability to process self and identity. Now, in uh, 1995, uh, researchers uh, G.E. Berrios and uh, R. Luke presented three different possible categorizations for Cotard's delusion, uh, and this was following their analysis of 200 publications uh, uh, you know concerning Cotard's uh, mm-hmm. syndrome or delusion. So they, they said, one, there's psychotic depression, and this includes patients where uh where where there's this overhanging uh, sense of melancholy, and in uh, this in uh, these nihilistic delusions emerge, and then there's Catard type one, they said, which includes patients uh, that represent a clear case of Catard syndrome, but more specifically, the delusion is is prominent in comparison to the depressive picture uh, that we already mentioned, and then there's a Catard type two, or a mixed group, and this is where they pa- patients. Uh, uh, demonstrate anxiety, depression, and even auditory uh, illusions as well. Hmm. So even, so basically the take home here is that if you start breaking it down, It's, it's not even that, that Cattard's delusion or Cattard's syndrome is like one set of things. You know, it it may be three different things. It's, uh, it's kind of depending on, it's a battery of symptoms and that exact battery of symptoms will differ from one patient
0: to another. Seems like it might be kind of a, what a, what a, a a working theory, like a, a a working uh, categorization technique.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, because overall, the delusion has been reported uh, as a symptom or, or, again, a battery of symptoms in a number of different underlying conditions, including migraine, uh, neoplasms of the parietal cortex, uh, 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 cerebrovascular disease and epilepsy, trauma, acute toxic phase of typhoid fever, multiple sclerosis. Wow.
0: Yeah again with with such a range of causes and such a range of different uh, specific presentations it, it makes me wonder yet again is this really one thing
1: yeah and I, I think I think the the case is very strong that it is not that it yeah. is this is this is something emerges
0: from various conditions one thing this makes me think about and I've mentioned it a couple of times so far is the role of beliefs in the formation mm-hmm. of delusions we mentioned it with the wandering Jew and with the uh, the idea of permit perdition um, so th- there's sort of like the hardware versus software formulations of brain function, right? uh so if uh, you imagine hardware is the physical and chemical activity of the brain and mm-hmm. the software are your thoughts and beliefs. um when I read literature about um um mental conditions, uh or any any uh disorder of the brain, it often seems theorized in terms of hardware malfunction, right there is some kind of malfunctioning of the hardware of the brain that is producing negative effects in the software right uh but i I keep thinking about the way the software feeds back into how the hardware works, like again um the, the things we mentioned so far, one thing I thought was interesting in Wang's essay, she mentions that she came to believe that she was living in perdition, even though she had never been a Christian. Hmm.
1: But that was still apparently a I mean, that was still obviously uh, a script that was available to her. Yeah. It's kind of like individuals who who uh, experience some sort of uh, supernatural occurrence. Yeah. Um, paranormal event. And then they' they have to make sense of it, so they have a few different scripts they can go to if if they if they want.
0: yeah, a- another experience that I think is uh in- interesting here in terms of how this reads on beliefs is the reports of people sort of recognizing. The illogical nature of what they're being told and yet being unable to stop believing it. Yeah. Like, uh, when people say, I'm dead and someone says to them, but you're walking around and you're talking dead people can't do that. Uh, it seems that some of these people who, who experience Qatar's delusion, they recognize that they're like, Oh yeah, you know, I, that's true that dead people can't walk around and stuff, but yet it is a fact that I'm dead. Like that is a primary, uh, you know, prima facie conclusion. Yeah
1: yeah I mean it's not just a situation where you can talk somebody out of it yeah um, and and therefore it yeah it, it's it is interesting to think of it in terms of the hardware software, because there are these these clear cases where it's like all right clearly there's there's damage to the brain, some sort of trauma occurred stroke like scenario et cetera, and then that messed up the 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 software but in other cases, it seems like it might be pure software such as the case of the um the the iranian um um uh man who thought he was oh, a wolf yeah. you know yeah, I, don't I mean know. not to say there's not some um uh, potential physical trauma going on there as well that was either uh you know underreported or not reported, but still
0: you know one of the scariest and most troubling things about this delusion is that uh in some forms of it it seems like medical science is having difficulty helping people. In other cases, people do seem to have uh, been able to to get treatment that achieved a, a positive uh, conclusion. Uh, in Wang's essay, again, she she talks about meeting with her doctors and feeling despair at the idea that they really didn't have any way that they could cure this. They, mm-hmm. they were just talking about like, well, uh, how much of her life would she have to live? Uh, feeling the, these heightened states of psychosis as opposed to relatively milder periods. And, uh, I, I, that's just such a, a horrible thing to have to be told. I mean, and not like it's the doctor's fault. Right. Um, but I, I, I would hope that this is something that we can make progress on. You know, when people talk about about curing diseases, about medical pro- progress in curing diseases, they're almost always talking about somatic illnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, people having, you know, cancer or, or other problems. And of course those are worth addressing too, but I, but I think it's really important to help keep up uh, hope for the, for the alleviation and curing of mental illnesses.
1: I agree. I agree. So hey, uh that's it for this episode. But uh we know that this probably stirred a number of uh thoughts from our listeners and hey, it's not it's not impossible that somebody out there listening to this has second or even firsthand experience with uh with the Qatar's delusion. So if you if you do, if you have Get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to learn more about stuff to blow your mind, if you want to check out past episodes of the podcast, check out some videos, blog posts, etc. Head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. You'll also find find links out to our social media accounts there, such as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. If there is if there is a particular social media thing that you use, uh, seek us out there. Follow us. And another great way to support the show is, uh, hey, wherever you listen to us, if there's an ability to to rank us, to uh, to give us a star rating, leave some feedback, leave us some positive feedback, leave us uh, an absurdly high uh, star rating. That helps <laughs> yeah. out the algorithms and uh, helps out the show.
0: Yeah, be sure to lie about how great we are.
1: I mean, you know, be be truthful, but then just go above and beyond because you got to make up to the other people. You have to make up for the other people who are um, who, who are not who are lying. So, right,
0: you know. a lot of naysayers out there. Yeah, you just
1: got to got to balance it, and the only way to balance it is to give us five stars.
0: That's just that's just fact. Of course, we we only want the most honest feedback. <laughs> anyway, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, as always, to let us know topics you might let us uh, might want us to cover in the future, or uh, feedback on this episode, or any other, or uh, or responses to any of the problems. We asked you in this episode, you can always email us at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: monthly rate on the visible plan for data management practices and additional terms visit visible.com
3: rev up your thrills this summer at cedar point on the all-new top thrill Two. drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple launch vertical speedway and now for a limited time get more cedar point fun for less with our limited time bundle for just 49.99 get admission parking and all-day drinks for one low price But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it.